Well, let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's word. Well, Father, we want to thank you for the privilege of praising you. You are great and awesome. You created all things. And you've given us a unique place in your creation to be able to gaze in wonder and to sing your praises. Help us now, Lord, to worship you even as we sit to hear what your word has to say. Lord, please speak to us now. Change us. Give us faith to stand for you uh, in this week ahead. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. What are you? It's an odd sort of sounding question, isn't it? What are you? How do you see yourself? Are you valuable? Are you significant? And why would you think that? Or why would you not think that? What is man? What does it mean to be a part of humanity? What is our place in the world? Uh, about 10 days ago, I was up in Aberfeldy and had the privilege of sort of sitting outside at night time and just seeing the beauty of a cloudless night and the stunning array of stars that are up there. More stars than you can count, really, with just the human eye. When you get away from the city, it's stunning. What do you feel when you look at a night sky like that? When you maybe see one of these programs uh, about outer space, and galaxies, as you, as you consider the vastness of the universe, how does that make you feel about yourself? A writer that I've, um, I've found very uh, interesting in the past, a quite amusing guy, is a guy called Garrison Keillor. And uh, he's a regular contributor on a, a radio program in America called PBS. And he, he wrote this short story entitled Lying on Our Backs. Let me read a little bit to you. Garrison Keillor writes this. The sky was clear, lying there, looking up at 180 degrees of billions of dazzling, single brilliances, made us feel we had gone away and left the farm far behind. Between the tree line and my left elbow, a billion stars in the sky, each representing a billion we couldn't see, tiny us, gazing up at the south wall of the unimaginable everything and feeling an obligation to comment. And our most profound comments sounded like peas dropped in a big, empty bucket. It makes you feel small, doesn't it? It's beautiful, isn't it? Indoors, the news is secondhand, mostly bad, and even good people are drawn into a dreadful fascination with doom and demise. Their faith in extinction gets stronger, they sit and tell stories that begin with the end. Outdoors, the news is usually miraculous. A fly flew into my mouth and went deep, forcing me to swallow, inducing a major life change for him. From fly to simple protein, and so shall we all be changed someday. 
So Kilos starts with, a, with wonder, but I think ends with kind of pessimism. He gazes at the cosmos and he says, well, it just makes you feel small. And if we listen to professors today and experts, then the message is that ultimately human life is insignificant. Secular humanism, uh, when all is said and done, sees man as a chance product of evolution in an accidental universe. We are just purposeless chemicals. We are uh, proteins that one day will just dissolve and disintegrate back uh, from where we came, like a fly descending into Kilo's stomach. That's all we are. Now, what does God have to say about this? Well, please open your Bibles to Psalm 8. We began a while back this uh, long series through Psalms, and in between other series, we're just picking off a Psalm at a time. So we're up to Psalm 8 today. Everyone's wondering, how, how far can we go before Paul Rees dies? But uh, <laughs> Psalm 8. You'll find this on page 546. Page 546 in the church Bibles. see from the top that it's a a psalm of David, that it's a a song to be played with a song called Gitteth, whatever that means, we're not quite sure. But here's a psalm, a song of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You've put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is God's word. Just keep that open. Well, David, who eventually became king of Israel, spent his early years as a shepherd out on the hills to watch his sheep. And no doubt he he spent many nights on a cloudless night looking into the sky. That's how this psalm feels to me. And as he looks up into the the cloudless night and sees all this amazing starlight, he asks this question, what is man? But you notice he doesn't ask it with despair, does he? He doesn't ask it with uh, a feeling of gloom and insignificance. He actually asks the question with astonishment, with praise, with Wonder. And why is that? Well, the structure of the psalm lets you see why. Look at the beginning and the end. O Lord, 
Our Lord, our majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 9, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is a psalm about praising the glorious God. This is about magnifying a majestic God. That's what this psalm is about. It is not primarily about how great man is, although it does say some very significant things about who we are. But the key thing to see is that this is a, is a statement of how great God is. And it's not just the beginning and the end. The whole psalm is ultimately about God, not man. Um, look at verse 2. Um, you have ordained praise. Verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, uh, which you have set in place. Verse 5, you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. And I would say to you, this is a very profound insight. Because our society is in total confusion today about why we as human beings have any dignity or value. Um, The philosophers of the Enlightenment, from Immanuel Kant onwards, people like Hume, said that we could only really have dignity if we threw off God and created our own meaning, our own significance apart from God. But the result of 150 years of trying to think and live that way has resulted in life becoming cheap and meaningless. We are just seeing the disintegration of our society and our culture right now And I'd say we're seeing that because we have lost a true knowledge of God. From abortion to euthanasia, uh, the redefinition of marriage to confusion with sexuality, with medical research projects that are way beyond our ethical framework of understanding, we are reaping the consequences of man trying to define himself apart from God. And the place that we must really turn to for sanity is the Bible is to God's word. You will only understand yourself, who you are, by first understanding the God who made you. We will only see and realize what it means to be human. We will only get our dignity and our value when we see how glorious and awesome is the God who made us. It's the only route. See, our glory, and, 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 and the psalmist is not embarrassed to say this, uh, that human beings are glorious. Our glory is inextricably linked to the glory of God. Remove God and man is nothing. There is no glory. We're meaningless, pointless, might as well kill them in the womb, kill them when they're old, do whatever you please. The strong will rule over the weak. But that's not a biblical worldview. We know that human beings, men and women, are equally created to be glorious. But we get that because we see we have an awesome and glorious God. When we have a true worship of God, we will truly love and care for each other as we ought. Now, that's a profound insight from Psalm 8. See, so David uh, actually asks a bigger question, doesn't he, in in verse 4. He doesn't just say, what is man? He says, what is man that you are mindful of him, uh, that you should care for him? 
he is looking up at the night sky and he's not feeling insignificant quite the opposite he's full of breathless wonder at God's concern for him he's amazed that the Lord who made everything is interested in him look at verse 3 when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place what is man that you are mindful of him that you should care for him David is just blown away by the greatness and glory of God. And that's just with, with what he can see with his eyes. I mean, we know a lot more than he does. I read this last week, that if you squeezed uh, the Milky Way galaxy to the size of North America, then our solar system would fit in a coffee cup. Now, our solar system is quite big. It would take you quite a while to travel from, from the sun to the edge of it. And if the whole Milky Way galaxy was in North America, you'd fill our solar system into a coffee cup. And that is just one of billions of galaxies that God has made. And David sees the stars, and he says, well, that's the work of your fingers. It's as if he imagines God sort of just picks up a star with his thumb and his finger, and he says, oh, I'll put you there, I'll put you there, just like that. God is an awesome God who makes these incredible Uh, galaxies, billions of galaxies with billions of stars. Now an unbeliever might well look up into the night sky and consider therefore how insignificant and how small they are, but the believer looks into the greatness of the cosmos and says, God, you are awesome and it's, I can't get over the fact that you care for me. See, when he says, what is man? Actually, it turns out to be another way of praising God, because really what he's saying is, what an amazing God! (laughs) You should care for me. Verse 2, you've set your glory above the heavens. Uh, It says in verse 1, but in verse 2 we have the prospect that there are those who don't recognize the glory of God in that way. They can look at this amazing creation and they don't ascribe God's uh, glory to God because there are, there are enemies of God. There are foes. There are adven- avengers. And what is God's answer to these foes and avengers? What does he do? Well, he's ordained praise from the lips of children and infants. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine these... Uh, you know, the mighty, fearsome intellects arranged against Christianity saying, uh, you are foolish to trust in God. Uh, imagine enemies, big buff guys, uh, angry and against God. And what's God's answer? Children singing his praises. And this is, this is the truth, isn't it? Uh, quite often, I, I, I have found people who, the turning point in their life to begin to look back to God and begin to discover what Christianity is all about was the first time they held a little baby. All the baby had to do was make little snuffly noises. This little snuffling baby. And they look at that baby and they begin to think, this is too incredible for there not to be a God. From the snuffles of babies to the praise of children who look at stuff and think, well, yes, God has made it. Do you know what we're doing right now? Right now, upstairs in the top hall, we are creating worshipping warriors in our Sunday school. 
children who are going to go out into the week and praise and worship this awesome God. And that's our great strategy uh, for countering all those who oppose Christ. We're creating worshipping warriors right now as we speak. You can hear them thundering their feet above us occasionally. How did, how did David know this? How did David uh, know that God personally cared for him? Was it wishful thinking? Well, no. It's there in the very first and last verse. Oh, Lord. Our Lord. The, the, the capitals L-O-R-D um, is the way that the Bible translators have chosen to translate these four Hebrew words, which in English are Y-H-W-H. A hundred years ago, we'd have said Jehovah. Commentators today probably think it's more like Yahweh, but we're all guessing. We don't know. The point is that God has revealed his personal name within history. Um, and it's because he has done that that David knows that God really cares. God had entered into a covenant relationship with his ancient people Israel and revealed himself as Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, I, last week uh, we had Patrick Sugadeo here. And uh, there was, a, uh, there was a, a meeting on Saturday afternoon and people were then had a were asking questions. And someone stood up and said, Dr. Sukadeo. And he stopped me and said, no, please call me Patrick. Now, can you imagine with me, you know, if, when you go to meet the Queen, you are told to address her as Your Highness. Do you know that? Your Highness. And, uh, but can you imagine if she stopped you and said, shh, 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 call me Elizabeth. Let me tell you, that's not going to happen, by the way. <laughs> but imagine that. But this is what God has done. He has revealed His personal name. And David starts this, this psalm by saying, Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name. God has not remained impersonal. He has revealed himself. He's given his name. He's revealed his ways. He's revealed what he is like. And that's why David does not feel insignificant. But he is amazed that this majestic God should be interested in him. And of course, this is made all the more clear to us in the coming of Jesus. John's gospel is clear, isn't it? That the word who was with God, uh, the word who was God, that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, one of the art pieces at the display. Can you move it on, please? I'm biased. I think this is good because Shona did it. But... Uh, but it, it really hit home to me that we're saying that God became a little baby, moist dust. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's, that's why we're going to celebrate that coming up uh, in, in the month of December. We'll have some invite cards for you next week so you can invite people to come along and hear this extraordinary good news. We can know that the God who made the, the billions of stars and the billions of galaxies can be known because He has revealed Himself coming in human flesh, in Jesus, so we could really know who He is. And the Lord Jesus told us that God even knows the numbers of hair on our head. He knows us that intimately. When we personally know the Lord and creator of the universe, we will never have to feel lonely and insignificant in this world. Indeed, we will, 
we will understand that despite our littleness in the cosmos, we've been given a great role of, uh, of dignity. Do you see the greatness of man and women, uh, men and women, of mankind, of humanity, is given as a gift of God. God has given us an exalted position within the universe. That's what he goes on to consider in verses uh, 6 to 8. You made him, verse 6, ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Now when David wrote this, he was referring back to the start of Genesis. So keep your finger in Psalm 7 and come back to Genesis chapter 1. David knows all of this because this God has revealed himself to us. David knew of this in Genesis chapter 1. Look at uh, verse 26. This is page number 4 in the church Bibles. Page number 4. Well, look at verse 27. It says that God created man in his own image. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. A huge part of what, what it means to be made in the image of God is that we're given a job to rule over the world. God has delegated his authority to us. Um, verse 26 uh, um, yes let us make man in our image in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock over all the earth over all the creatures that move along the ground verse 28 God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth subdue it Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. How excited would you be if I told you that actually uh, during one of the hymns, Prince William and Kate came into church this morning, that they were sitting here, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Is that one of their titles? Now, I want you, without making big deal of it don't stare but turn around and look at the person behind you just have a little look because what you are looking at right now are kings and queens over creation do you know that to your left and to your right are kings and queens over creation God has created us with this incredible privilege to rule over his creation. It is a unique role. David Robertson at the Solas conference um, yesterday in Dundee, oh, it was actually John Lennox who said this, I think, who spoke. He basically said, you know, God has made all these amazing stars but we uniquely are made in the image of God. It is us who comments on the stars, not the stars commenting on us. Isn't that amazing? What an awesome place God has given to mankind. Put in this world, which uh, even the atheist uh, scientists are scratching their head at how incredible it is. That everything is thinly poised so to be perfect for a place where human beings can exist. 
little fractions wrong either side, you couldn't have life in this universe. But there is life. And it looks like it's all designed around there being men and women in it. Amazing. This is the role that God has given us. Verse 5, you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you've crowned him with glory and honor. This is helpful. We're not angels, but we're not animals. Um, this is, of course, what people like Richard Dawkins and, and Desmond Morris used to say. Uh, Desmond Morris put it this way, there are 193 living species of monkeys and apes. 192 of them are covered with hair. The exception is a naked ape called Homo sapiens. Well, that's what Desmond Morris says you are. You're just a naked ape. But you know what the Bible says? We are ultimately different. We may share some common genetics and DNA. Maybe we've got a common uh, master plan from our creator who likes life a certain way. And so you do share some uh, DNA similarities with chimpanzees. But we are fundamentally different, are we not? I, I, I remember laughing my head off at one nature program that I watched. And, and with hushed tones, the commentator spoke showed shots of this chimpanzee using a stick to get some ants out of a, of a log and licking it and, and saying in hushed tones, do you see this chimpanzee using a tool just like a human being? They're just like us. And the irony of it was hilarious because there we are with a high-definition camera <laughs> filming the chimpanzee with a stick. A high-definition camera. With, with silicon chips, we've turned sand into something called a silicon chip with incredible data in it and, and be able to put this machine together, can film this chimp with his stick. And I'm sitting there on a TV, in front of a high-definition TV set, watching this, just like the chimps. Really? Really? No. We are different. We are made in the image of God with unique creativity and ingenuity. And man has been given a special place to rule and exert leadership over this planet. He's appointed us to be supervisors. We, we are here to care about ecology and recycling and pollution. We should care about exploitation. We should care about how we use the world's resources. But fundamentally, we are here to worship God. We are made to magnify the majestic God. That's why we're here. Verse 6, you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. And in many ways we do see a remarkable control and authority that we have over the world. Uh, we live in a city. Has it ever amazed you that you live in a city where there isn't massive disease and pollution? Praise God for good sewer systems and clean water. That is a modern marvel that we can live all so close together and not be full of disease. Cities are an amazing testimony to the ability of man to be able to create structures and systems that human beings can live and dwell. Have you ever thought about how, the, how many people are involved in making a pencil? The hundreds of thousands of people involved in creating a simple pencil with an eraser at the end, which you can buy for pence. Thousands of people have cooperated all around the world so you could have a pencil. It is amazing the, the creativity, the ingenuity of man. And yet we'd have to say as we look up this world, it's not true what he says here, is it? 
Everything is not under the control of man. In fact, look at our society today and you'll see lots of glorious structure and order and creativity and, uh, and invention. But also you'll see a society where we've got huge drug problems. Where the prisons are full. Where families are breaking up. Uh, we live in a world where you can have mighty generals who can, who can uh, become heads of CIA and control awesome levels of power and machinery and yet can't control their own selfishness. They can't keep their promises to their wife. This is our fundamental problem. Brilliant, genius, because we're made in the image of God, yet fallen and broken, sinful and selfish. We do not really have everything under our control. And that is why we need the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why um, the New Testament takes up Psalm 8... And it gets our eyes and attention upon the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the answer to this messed up world? It's Jesus. Not going to get tired of talking about this every week. This is what we're about. We're here to worship and praise Jesus. Jesus is the answer to this messed up world. Take a look at Jesus, his authority. Over, over natural disasters, the windstorms, he could silence with a word. His authority over demons, his authority over disease, his authority even over death. Uh, the, 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 the gospel writers want us to look at Jesus and proclaim, he is Jesus Christ, he is Jesus the King. Here is man as he was meant to be, ruling over his creation. Jesus takes this psalm to himself. In, in Matthew 21, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and uh, the crowds are singing and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, they are rejoicing that, that Jesus is the Messiah who has come to Jerusalem. And there's even children singing out his praises. And the religious leaders are saying, Are you hearing what they're saying, Jesus? They refused to accept his glory. They refused to recognize his authority. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says this, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. He takes this very psalm to himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it speaks of Jesus as the one that God has put all things under his feet, even death. His defeat of death in his resurrection means that everything is under the feet of King Jesus. But more fully, we find it in Hebrews chapter 2, which was our New Testament reading. So let's turn back to that. Hebrews Chapter 2. And if you ever are really bad at uh, quoting references, be encouraged that the writer of the Hebrews was exactly the same. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. But there is a place where someone has testified. I love that. I, I, I know it's in there somewhere. There is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. We don't see everything subject to us as human beings. We're still living in a messed up world. We're still living with what Pascal termed the glory and the shame of humanity. 
So in practice, it means we have all the joy of being human now, but we also face all the frustrations and tears and disappointments and sickness and suffering and death that we have to cope with today. We don't see everything subject to man. But, verse 9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Jesus is both the demonstration of what a true human being is to look like, but he's also the promise that one day we will all be truly human if we put our faith and trust in him. His conquering of death, his bodily resurrection, points to us that actually our humanity will be restored and glorious. We will be all that God meant us to be. Look at Jesus. You see, we believe in the glory and the dignity of men and women today, not simply because we were made in God's image, but that God has come in human flesh, died and rose bodily, and we look at the promise of his resurrection body, and we know that we have dignity as men and women. We as Christian believers are the ones that need to hold up and cherish the preciousness of every human life. Whether somebody is an awesome Olympic athlete or whether they are limited to disabilities in a wheelchair. We alone know that the dignity and value of human life does not rest in what they can achieve, but in a given gift from a glorious God. That's why Christians want to stand up for the unborn child. It's why Christians want to stand up for the dignity of people in their old age and their infirmity. They shouldn't be put down like dogs. It's why Christians care about ethics. It's why Christians value profoundly children. Our Western culture is killing itself off by refusing to have children by aborting its children. And the demographics are all the wrong way around. We are killing ourselves off by self-choice. 200,000 abortions in Britain last year. Unbelievable. 42 million abortions in the world. A lot of selective abortions of, 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 of female embryos. Horrific. Horrific. And we as Christians stand out against that because we believe what this psalm tells us. You've crowned us with glory and honor. And we know that we don't live up to all that we could be. And yet we look at Christ and we see that what we can be by faith when we trust him. Why did Jesus experience death? Why did he uh, go through this whole process? Well, he did it because he wanted us to know him in a unique way. How does, he want to, how does he want us to know him? Look at verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. This is amazing. The God who comes in human flesh experiences death and is raised so that we can be in God's family. That we could call him our brother. Here is the amazing privilege and significance of being human beings in the universe made to magnify a majestic God. We get to praise this awesome God as our Father. 
to know Christ as our Savior, Lord, and brother. Are you fulfilling the purpose for which God made you? You're a king and queen over creation, made to conduct your life in such a way that your life glorifies, magnifies the majestic God. What an awesome privilege this week. Your little kingdom might be caring for a few little toddlers at home, creating order out of the chaos that they're raising them. It may be in the workplace, making bagpipes, or taking photographs, or teaching children at school, or making people better as a nurse, fixing the plumbing. Praise God for plumbers. We would be lost without plumbers. You're a king and queen over creation, made to magnify the majestic God. And the tragedy is we live in a world where people refuse to see and acknowledge this God. And so we can live our lives in such a way that we, we point outwardly and remind people of this amazing God who made everything. That's why I love Thanksgiving. We just had Thanksgiving last week in America. We try and celebrate it in our house because we think it's such a great thing. We had a few families over, uh, some of them. Didn't, I think weren't Christians but it was a great joy just to go around the table and just say what are you thankful for and let's thank this God who gave us all these things direct their attention and praise to this awesome God so that we pray that one day they too will say oh Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth let's pray Oh, Father, you have created a universe that is beyond our comprehension in its size, in its glory, in its grandeur. And we thank you that we can hold on to this truth that you have personally revealed yourself to us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for the privilege that you've given us to live our lives this week uh, ruling over your creation. We want to do that in a way that will bring glory to you. Please fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Change our hearts that we want to, in every activity, Lord, glorify and magnify you. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.